Hello, how are you doing? I love and miss you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Ask Floss. I love being the place you guys go for unprofessional advice. I hope I can help even more of you this week with my rambling and advice that sometimes I'm giving you answers to questions for things that I need help with myself. So let's get started. What support would you expect from your boyfriend while going through an abortion? Oh my God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know. When some people are grieving or mourning or going through something traumatic afterwards, you don't even know what you want. You don't even know what you want. And I think I would expect someone to just keep showing up, whether it's with a care package, a phone call, physically showing up, checking in with my friends if I'm too stressed out. Something like that, I think, would make me feel really good. And then also it's having the courage to get it wrong. So having the courage to do something and then you being like, I'm sorry, that's not what I need right now. And then them still showing up and doing something else for you. And I'm sending you so much love and healing as well. Um, I can't imagine what that feels like to be going through it. And I really hope that your boyfriend does support you in all the ways that you need. Okay, on to the next question. How to find the confidence and strength to finish a literary project? Oh, there's so many mentally tough, rigid metal barriers that you're going to go through in your mind and you just don't want to keep going anymore. Um, But pushing through them will not only produce probably your best writing, um, but this sense of courage and resistance inside of you that no one else can really fucking touch. The sense of completing something and holding it in your hands. That's what got me through it, was the idea of flicking through my novel and sniffing it. Try to envision that. It's a really good uh, visualization and manifestation tool. Okay, on to the next question. How to grapple with one's own sexual identity when a partner's gender identity changes. I don't know what gender you are, what gender your partner is. Um, I can imagine that that's really confusing. Have you ever seen Tales of a City on Netflix? It goes through this exact thing uh, where uh, an originally lesbian couple... Uh, one of them transitions, so female to male, and then the cisgender woman who still identifies as, with a lesbian as a lesbian is now dating a transgender man, and she finds that she can't do it because her partner's a man. So I would just watch that also, I would because she does go into so much of how she's feeling about it and the confusion of it. I wouldn't know what to say on that subject, but Tales of a City. I don't know if the issue was handled well, but it's a beautiful series and it goes into that situation. I've not yet experienced that, but I imagine it would be really confusing for you if maybe also you are someone who considers themselves straight and your partner transitions. You might learn a lot about your sexuality as well. Some people identify as pansexual, so they might still... Uh, be very attracted to their partner because they don't they aren't attracted to people because of gender yeah I would do some researching into those kind of labels as well and just honor how you feel be honest with your partner and I wish you all the best but definitely watch Tales of a City Okay, on to the next question how to overcome feeling selfish and guilty after breaking up with someone (sighs) I think no matter how a relationship ended I would always end up feeling guilty I think even if there's always some kind of element of guilt, because even if the person pushes you right to your edge, there's something traditionally found and pushed into and squashed into the minds of women that feels guilty for, quote, giving up on someone. Because there's this cultural narrative that 
even if you leave someone who's hurting you, you still should have given them one more chance because people can change and blah, blah, blah. There's always going to be someone fighting in the, in the corner of abusive people. So that's like on the worst end of the spectrum, right? And even if someone is uh, really good, we feel guilty for leaving them because, oh, they did nothing wrong. We just grew apart, whatever. I think it's this uh, flip-flopping of guilt no matter how the relationship ended. And so that's not really advice, is it? But th that's me saying I fucking relate so much. I, how did I handle guilt? I cried. I cried. I wrote a lot about it. I made some art about my breakup. I think you might feel a little bit of guilt also because you're choosing yourself. And it may or may not be the first time you've ever done that. And that's probably where the guilt is coming from. But fucking get used to it because you need to keep choosing yourself over and over and over again for the rest of your life. Okay, on to the next question. How to find friends that you actually like. Don't hang out with people that you don't like. And if you can't do that <laughs> because you want people to go out with, you want people to socialise with or whatever, maybe try to limit your interactions with the people that you don't like. And frequent places where people go that have the same interests in you. It becomes harder in adulthood because you no longer have school. More of us are becoming freelance. So we don't have a workplace. For some people, office, like even office spaces, is like one of the last physical communities that we have in adulthood because we never really go, we don't really go to school. Fewer, fewer people are like joining clubs and stuff because everything's online. But I would say try and use the internet, try to find, even, even if you do like to go out and party, go to places that play your music so you can find other people like that. Or you could attend um, even like political groups and stuff. You want to find people that share the same morals and values as you. But I would also say just have a critical eye with everything. Just because people uh, share the same politics as you doesn't mean that they're a nice person. They might actually be really shitty. Just because someone likes the same music as you doesn't mean that they're going to be great. Just because someone likes the same sport as you doesn't mean the same thing. You will find your people based on integrity, moral and values and sharing them with those people. Okay, on to the next question. Women that inspire you and that you look up to. Every single woman that I've interviewed on this podcast, um, Glennon Doyle, I'm obsessed with Glennon Doyle. I love her story about how she ended her marriage and her story with her and her wife. I'm completely obsessed with them. Um, and also any, any woman that kind of came out later in life, I'm just completely obsessed with their story. Um, but what I love about Glennon Doyle mostly is how vulnerable she is with her audience to a level that it's just it just liberates thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, I definitely don't have the courage to open myself up that much, but the payoff for what she does is insane and it's so immense. Okay, on to the next question. How do you get over the expectations of other women? Expectations for what? For beauty, for career, for your body. Other women are, you know, I think it was Jamila Jamil who said, can be double agents of the patriarchy. So sometimes we can enforce patriarchy inadvertently on each other with, you know, body talk, diet talk, putting pressure on each other to be a certain way. Don't be too slutty. Don't be too frigid. Blah, 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 blah. Understand that anyone saying anything to you about yourself is not inside your head and does not know what you want and cannot tell you what you want, whether that's a man or a woman. I definitely have a weak spot for listening to... Um, women more than I do men because I value women's intuition and opinion probably a lot more depending on the situation because they are more likely to know what's going on with my life and my feelings and are able to relate a lot more but that doesn't also mean that women cannot fucking hurt you just as much because of that access to intimacy so 
take everything with a pinch of salt and remember to develop your own critical eye when it comes to these things. Okay, on to the next question. Advice on over-involved parents or noticing their toxic behaviours. Sometimes when you realise things all at once about your parents, it can be really uncomfortable because things have always been this way and you've only now just woken up to this reality. So try not to go in all at once with your parents or critiquing them and perhaps gently prod them at their behaviours. Hopefully these parents of yours are people who will listen to you. This is stuff they did in the past or it's stuff they're doing. Maybe it's diet talk. As an example, they're talking about bodies in a certain way. Tell them how it makes you feel and I really hope that they listen to you. Okay, on to the next question. Opinion on the pill or hormonal coil? I haven't used birth control for years and years and years and years and years. I think contraception is amazing. It encouraged lots of women to have a lot more fucking sex. It was a massive part of the sexual liberation movement. But my opinion on birth control would be nice if we fucking had some stuff for men. It would also help out with abortion rights with the birth control. I don't know if you're asking me my opinion on the pill or the hormonal coil. I don't really have an opinion on either. I haven't used them for years and years and years, but I know that they can fuck up our bodies a lot and that it's not nice to have all of that stuff pumped into you when it'd be nice if men could also have the same responsibility for preventing pregnancy because men can get like nine women pregnant a day. They could literally impregnate they could literally create thousands of babies every year but we can only produce one every nine months if you have a womb okay on to the next question tips on finding yourself as a teenage girl and becoming more confident in how you look try not to look to your peers and look to yourself and your own intuition for what you think is cool try to get rid of this idea that all the people around you have it figured out and you don't they absolutely don't and if there's groups of people that look the same you don't want to be like them you want to be like you because they're not being like them they're being like each other and their idea of being like each other has been copied, pasted, printed around the internet, probably. So try to do exactly what you want to do with your appearance. Okay, next question. What do you think about pretty privilege and why is it still working? Pretty privilege still works. Of course it does, because even though we've addressed what it is, that doesn't automatically mean that people still don't want to treat pretty people better than they treat people who don't match society's standards of beauty. Doors are opened more to women who are beautiful. It's a false sense of power because you're tricked into thinking that it's the way that you're going to get your foot in the door, but your prettiness won't keep you in the rooms. You have to then play at this game that the men set in read the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf she talks about it in so much more depth than I do she uses this analogy of like how an adult will play wrestle with the child and let the child think it's one so the child walks away thinking haha I'm, I feel amazing I'm great I'm one but actually the parent was in control the whole time and that's what it's like with prettiness is that in the 80s when women were told to wear x amount of makeup and dress a certain way into the workplace women were like woohoo we can earn a man's living now by just being prettier and of course that came with a whole bunch of diet restrictions and eating disorders and spending money on beauty, beauty products owned by men anyway so men are being paid more for women wanting to be more beautiful but then in the office they were treated um absolutely fucking awfully if they were sexually assaulted their prettiness was the thing that was blamed for the sexual assault so prettiness can uh, help women and it can also be the thing that's used against you to justify your abuse so yeah pretty privilege is a fucking complicated one but i highly recommend reading the beauty myth by naomi wolf <laughs> 
Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I've just been dumped out of the blue and I don't know how to process it. Any advice? Oh, you'll probably go through all of the stages of grief. And one of the most painful stages will be when something feels like it came out of nowhere. Typically, there were signs that we were ignoring or choosing to suppress because we didn't want to acknowledge them. And that doesn't mean things that you were doing wrong. It doesn't mean things that the person was doing were abusive, not necessarily. It can be signs of disinterest. It can be signs that they were being unfaithful and everything Sometimes things don't make sense and then you look retrospectively back at the pieces and you can see that part of you did know that there was something off. And that also doesn't mean that there's something off with you. Sometimes people can get cold feet for a numerous amount of reasons, have nothing to do with us. Um, attachment styles come in, past trauma comes in. Um, sometimes people aren't who you think they are. There's an amazing book I read once called Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. It, it, it's specifically about when someone is uh, emotionally abusive. And I don't know if that's your situation, but... Um, I find that reading books about this kind of stuff helps me to understand it, but also know that understanding things doesn't mean you're processing them. I'm the queen of talking about things over and over and over again and analysing it to death to make me feel like I'm processing something. But if you're not feeling that betrayal, or you're not feeling that hurt and that loss, unfortunately, you're not going to be processing it. You're going to be intellectualising your feelings instead of feeling them. And so my tip is to find some kind of healthy balance whatever you need to do it's a bit it's a it's a mini kind of grief that you go through and please try not to judge yourself with how you process this next question how do i know when i'm ready to date again after a bad relationship you will know intuitively and there might be little signs from the universe you might start to feel sexual desire again i know that for some people it can go off for some people it can go really high and you will just know when it's ready and also You'll know because I feel, I feel like after a bad relationship, you kind of go, you can go one way or the other. You can go to, I'm not fucking dating anyone ever again, to, I want to date absolutely everyone to fill this void. And there's no judgment with which, whatever way you go. But it sounds like you are in that place of getting ready to date again after not dating for a little period of time. You will just know. And also don't pin all of your hopes onto this one person to kind of like rescue you from singledom or rescue you from taking you, quote unquote, off the shelf, as we like to call women in society who are still single. Try to keep keep your standards and keep your boundaries. You don't have to make everyone uh, who offers to take you out into the one. You can still say no to people if they approach you. Okay, next question. What's one thing on your bucket list? I don't know, but I quite like the idea of just like, it's quite simple really, but just laying in the middle of the like ocean where the, the, the sand's white and the ocean's blue and the sky is blue and there's palm trees around me in like, I don't know, Indonesia or something. Have you seen that film, The Beach of Leonardo DiCaprio? And it just goes to the most beautiful fucking beach. I just want to be like laid on a surfboard in the middle of the ocean, feeling completely safe, doing some shit like that. It's not really a goal. I'm sure I have something more interesting to 
pluck out, but that's all I thought of when you said that. So I'm going to say that. Okay, next question. What's your favorite name? Well, it was Eartha. And if I ever had a child, I was going to call my child Eartha. And then I was like, absolutely not. I'm now going to put it into my novel. So I did really like the name Eartha because of Eartha Kit. And I just think she's so iconic. And that interview where she's like, where someone's like, a man comes into my life and I have to compromise for what? It's the most iconic thing. And she's why I love the name Eartha. So that was my favourite name. Yeah. I also like the name Sunday. I think that's quite lovely. Okay, next question. How to know if you're making fear-based decisions or if it's what you genuinely want? Take a beat and see if you want to make the same decision when you're feeling happy. So never make a decision out of fear, unless obviously fear is imminent and you're in danger, then definitely trust your instincts and do what your body's telling you to do. But fear-based decisions often come from a scarcity mindset. So you're doing it because you're afraid of something being taken away from you, or you're doing something to control that from happening, or you're doing something because you lack. And I would say an abundant decision would look like doing it calmly, doing it intuitively, and it's a sense of knowing as opposed to, fuck, this needs to happen right now. Okay, next question. How to accept my insecurities? Any tips? Insecurities can be worked on. That's my one thing. Confidence is a skill. You're not born with it. Although some people have it instilled into them, like men uh, have confidence a lot more instilled to them because they listen to more. They're allowed to do more things. Women are encouraged to be more passive. Men are encouraged to do and engage with the world. You only need to look at young boys and girls to see what they do in a playground or in a classroom or whatever. Women don't like to put their hand up because it draws attention to how they look. It's insane, all of the stuff that we're discouraged from doing because we're taught that how we look is of paramount importance and also a reflection of our parents that we see people say, oh, she's such a good girl, she's such a pretty girl. And the boys get all of these other compliments. So some people definitely have a different kind of confidence installed in them, but confidence is also a skill. And I personally believe that you can only gain confidence through doing little things that scare you every single day. And Gloria Steinem says something similar about doing one outrageous act every day. And one outrageous act doesn't have to mean, you know, doing a public speaking gig to thousands of people. It could be asking someone on the street for the time. It could be telling someone you find them attractive. It could be complimenting a girl's outfit on the street. I can't, I, the amount of times I used to just walk past women and think, God, she looks cool. And then have that regret of not saying something to her afterwards. Just do it. Act on that thing that you want to do. And when you give other people confidence, you in turn become more confident. On to the next question. Do you feel totally comfortable going around London on your own? I'd love to move there, but I'm nervous about moving as a woman alone. I feel like it's dangerous for women absolutely fucking everywhere. I definitely feel like I live in a London bubble where the streets are a lot safer here than most places. But also the streets are really busy in London. There have been times where I don't like to get on the tube because I've been followed home by men. It's almost like this sixth sense that women have, otherwise known as our intuition, where we're highly alert to danger. If you are looking to be safer on the streets or anywhere in general, in any kind of situation, because the places that women are hurt by men are actually most often likely to be with someone you already know. I recommend buying the book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. I read it a couple weeks ago and it changed my life and my perspective on safety as a woman. But ultimately, all the book was asking you to do as the reader is listen to your gut feeling and to listen to your intuition. I think that once you read this book, um, The Gift of Fear, it will make you feel a thousand times more equipped to handle 
any situation in your life and to listen to that voice inside you that tells you someone isn't safe because politeness gets women killed. And if you're in a situation and you feel uncomfortable by being quote unquote rude, the worst thing that's going to happen is a stranger thinks you're rude and at best it will save your life. Okay, on to the next question. How do you deal with toxic family? I don't I don't want to say I have any I'm lucky to have not any toxic family members. There are people I don't agree with in my family, their opinions, but I don't live in the same household as them. So the only thing I can really apply this to is maybe just toxic friendships or toxic people in your life in general. And that's boundaries. Boundaries tell you where you start and where another person begins, where you stop and another person begins. Boundaries are the essential way to be able to maintain yourself while interacting with other people. Sometimes boundaries do look like distance. I know that I wouldn't be able to share a house with family members just because of age gaps or difference in views and stuff like that. So I would say boundaries. There are so many good books you can read on boundaries. And also you've asked the question, how do you deal with toxic family? The phrase toxic is so general. Is this a family member who's abusive? Is this a family member who's controlling? Or is toxic, in your case, someone who has self-destructive habits and you don't want it to influence you? I think that there are so many ways to describe someone who's toxic, so I can't answer the question specifically. But reinforce your boundaries and try to get a really strong sense of what those boundaries are. And you likely already know what they are because you know what makes you uncomfortable whenever you're around them. Listen to those feelings that you have in your body that tell you something's making you uncomfortable. Insert parameters to change the relationship or rework the relationship with the person. Don't expect everyone to agree with you also. You should expect when you're setting boundaries with people, especially if they've known you for a long time, to perhaps be quite resistant to it because they've known you as a certain version for a while. They might start saying things like, who do you think you are? You've changed. This isn't like you. And it's actually kind of a compliment wrapped up in some kind of shaming technique because you finally stood up for yourself. Okay, next question. My teenage daughter is so angry at me in the world. How do I support her and let her know she's being heard without encouraging bad behaviours, i.e. being verbally abusive to myself and her sisters? Ooh, I... That first sentence, my teenage daughter is so angry at me in the world, my parents could probably relate to that with me when I first started getting into feminism and politics. Not to an awful degree, but I just I reckon I was probably hostile at the beginning of my feminist journey because I'd learned so much information in such a short amount of time that I was overcompensating for my years of lack of knowing about this stuff. And so... I wanted to ram this information down every single person's throat. The, the more people I could find, the better. And I think that the, the people closest to you are the people who face the brunt of that enlightenment the most because what do you want to do when you find out new information? You kind of feel guilty. You feel like, oh my God, I've been doing this. Even if it comes to just realising that you've been doing things to please men, you might go the complete opposite way. And you've said here, being verbally abusive to yourself and her sisters... I think that women have the right to go on some kind of not abusive journey, not abusive journey, but on some kind of journey where they're allowed to express their anger, where it does become an issue, is where they're hurting the people around them. And so I would just recommend boundaries. And boundaries don't have to mean walls and barriers. Boundaries can mean compassion. I've never been a parent, so I wouldn't know what to tell you to tell your daughter. But if I'm thinking about 
my relationship with my parents when I was 18 and discovering feminism, if my mum had said to me, listen, I love what you're doing. And I think I, I am so proud to have raised a daughter who cares about the world. And I also don't like it when you make me feel stupid for not knowing this stuff. And I also don't like it when you shout at me, is there a book you could recommend me? Is there a time in the week where we could talk about this? I'd really like to learn. I think maybe that's what I would have liked to have heard from my mum. I think when you're on this journey, all you want to know is that you're not the only person in your life who cares about it. At least that's what it was for me anyway. So perhaps uh, there's room to build a bridge with your daughter and um, she could meet you in the middle. Okay, on to the next question. My ballet school hates that I grow out my armpit hair. How should I navigate this? I think there are, there are usually two choices we have when faced with people who tell us to do things with our body. You can either conform to what they're saying to you and you can avoid the discomfort of standing out and you can avoid the discomfort of people staring at you and telling you what to do with your body. But at what cost? You've done something to your body that you were happy with before. At least for me anyway, I would feel quite muted. I would feel like someone was dampening me if I had to do something with my body that I didn't want to do. But with the other choice, you can continue to grow out your body hair and face the disapproval of your peers around you. But you gain empowerment, you gain autonomy over your body by doing what the fuck you want to do with it and I think being a woman under patriarchy is constantly choosing whether or not we do something that will cause us peace with the people around us or peace within us and that's the choice that you have to make every time you're met with some kind of critique against your self-expression or what you do with your body. And personally, I prefer peace within myself if it comes to my body. There are situations where in which you can compromise, but I think you might actually inspire some of the other girls in your ballet class to grow out their armpit hair and they'll never fucking forget you. They will never forget you for inspiring them. I don't know how old you are, but I always remember the first girl whose body hair I saw. And... It will stay with me forever because I couldn't believe I'd never seen a young girl with body. All the girls used to shave. And I remember seeing the girl just so brazenly with her leg hair out and feeling inspired as well as deeply uncomfortable because I'd never seen body hair before. That's an interesting question. Just to everyone. I know no one's going to respond to this because I'm literally talking to myself into a microphone. But when was the when was the first time you saw body hair and how did it make you feel? That's an interesting thing to think about. Thank you so much for being here and sending in your questions. I hope you all have a gorgeous week. See you later. Love you. Bye.